Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fire and Forte. I am so excited to introduce to you Chelsea McLean. Hi, Chelsea. Hello, Hannah. So, Chelsea, you are, I'm going to read my blurb because I would describe you as a pioneer in Australia of the circular economy, not least because of your business called Circular Economy Pioneers, but because all of the work that you're doing across the industry with schools, innovators, change makers to help them understand and implement circular design into their work. Now, for any listeners that don't know what circular economy is, because I certainly needed to brush up on it. Circular economy is the encouragement of the reuse and regenerations of materials and products. So think about no more one-use plastics, one-use materials. And I'm talking to Chelsea today on, on the day that Victoria in Australia has banned plastic, one-use cutlery, etc. So you must be thrilled by that. Yeah, single-use plastic bans are a great place to start. It really is about the idea that in nature there is no waste and we're going to try and emulate nature by having everything return to the earth and not building up landfills and all of these things that we need to do to keep valuable resources in use at their highest value and for as long as possible. That's what circular economy is all about. Amazing. And when I was thinking about the examples that I've experienced recently, I mean, I've just moved house and was incredibly enraged really suddenly by all of my belongings because I thought I didn't have a place for them all. But also when I thought about shopping and that more and more materials and clothes that I'm buying have got recycled materials in them. So an H&M dress that I recently bought for a holiday. And then when we were talking earlier about an example that we could share, an example of businesses, copper mining businesses, leasing their copper to businesses such as wind turbines, as opposed to putting it into the economy where it could end up ending up in landfill. So actually 25 year lease, they get that copper back and they can take control of it again, which I loved because I think it's really helpful for us to understand as many examples as possible. Yes, and circular business models, there's so many of them. Product as a service, that one of the leasing something valuable, whether it's a car or copper, is a really good circular economy business model. It's my favorite one. Okay, great. I'm sure you've got lots. I've been doing lots of reading and thought, oh, I could go off on lots of tangents on this interview. But Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us from Queensland today. It would be really great to understand how you got to where you are today. Yes. Well, I started doing a journalism, public relations and Japanese degree at university. And I decided to go into the PR stream early on. So I was pretty fortunate in that what I'm doing today is still based on what I started my university degree, which is a bit rare. So I'm fortunate that way. And from there, that was 20 years ago that I graduated from Bond University here on the Gold Coast. And I'm still using those foundation PR skills, but building it into different industries now, like circular economy. And over the years, I've niched into many different industries to tourism and health and well-being and, and quite a few others. So there's been some good variety there.
Amazing. I mean, I imagine the PR foundations is imperative in engaging people in something like circular design. One thing that I was wondering is whether it was difficult to persuade, whether some people had barriers to understanding this kind of, but we've always done it this way. It sounds a little bit too hard. Oh, absolutely. This transition from a linear take-make-waste society to a more circular one, which, which is also not just about keeping resources in use, but also designing out waste and pollution and regenerating natural systems. This is a very long-term transition and we are going to be battling a lot of linear and reductionist mindsets and reductive thinking because at the moment, sadly, people of all ages and teachers in schools and students still being educated in schools have a linear mindset and it's a reductive one. So we're going to be tackling a lot of really big challenges to be able to get this circular thinking in place and this systems thinking that we need in order to make the transition. But people are starting to really get on board with it. So momentum is gathering. Okay. And I suppose more examples such as Victoria banning plastic. I know that's probably at the end of the journey, isn't it? But the more things that are in the public sphere that are demonstrating that things can be done differently. I mean, children are probably being brought up with plastic disposables. Whereas when I was younger, we did actually have a flask. If we wanted a coffee, you know, our parents had brought a flask of hot chocolate and coffee if we were going for a walk, whereas now everyone's getting baby chinos and things. So Unfortunately, uh, it's a convenience mindset as well, isn't it? That we've been, you know, we've bought into the plastics industry did frame this convenience benefit for us back in the, I think it was the 50s and 60s, when the industrial revolution was happening, they really did sell us on the idea of the convenience of plastic. So unfortunately, with the Anthropocene, you can see this huge rise in carbon emissions. And that is what we need to to, to offset. And the truth is a circular economy is going to get us half the way towards reaching a carbon neutral or a zero carbon society, which is what we need to do because of climate change and all the reasons why we need to reduce carbon. So the point is that circular economy can get us half the way there. Renewable energy is the other half. And so circular economy means locked in products. And when you think about carbon emissions, people typically think about renewable energy solutions, but circular economy is really important because circular economy looks at the carbon emissions created in the infrastructure needed to enable renewable energy, things like the wind turbines that need so much copper and other minerals and things that we really will need resource-wise. So renewable energy and circular economy and carbon neutrality are much more interrelated than we realise, which is why the transition to a circular economy is so important. Absolutely. It's very compelling. And yet when you're in a room with business leaders or high school students, are there some tactics that you've needed to employ to engage them out of the, you talked about linear thinking? That's the best question ever, because the point is that at the moment, I've been working a lot with high school design students in year 10, 11 and 12. They do a major design project, which is all part of their proper end of year assessment and university entry score. And at the moment, unfortunately, teachers are not thinking in a non-linear way. So we think take, make, waste, and we don't really consider the end of opportunities or what will happen to this thing at the end of its life. Or how many carbon emissions are we creating in the life cycle of food or products? 
So at the moment, it is tricky because my with my circular economy pioneers hat on, I can go into schools and help them understand we need to do a lot more systems thinking, which is circular thinking. We can't just keep looking at things in isolation in this linear kind of way and not think about the carbon emissions or the life cycle or the end of life of the things that high school design students, for example, are creating, but it's just not there yet in their thinking and in their exploring of in the curriculum, it's actually there in circular. A circular design is written into the high school design curriculum here in Queensland, and it more or less is in New South Wales and the other states. So, but they're not there yet when it comes to really thinking about how would I design something to be truly circular. So if I was me, aged 40, in my day job looking at creating a new product how would what are there any I mean you don't have to give me a whole lesson but you talked about the principles of take make waste which is not what we want that's linear are there some key principles that we should start from the outset of a project the key principle is look to nature in nature there's no waste so the point is that we can use things like biomimicry to look how strong a honeycomb design is so if you want strength you can use materials that come from nature be it from you know trees or other materials and that can be returned to nature at the end of its useful life And also that could mean looking to, you know, biomimicry is, well, how does a honeycomb structure work? Could this structure that nature has already perfected in its genius be useful for the strength in the product that I'm creating? And what materials would be least harmful to the planet? So looking at life cycle analysis is quite a a science into itself, but really we want to be looking at biological materials, materials that will safely degrade and not end up in our waterways causing plastic pollution and stuff. There's so many examples where you feel as though you can't avoid it. I mean, you talk about convenience, don't you? And away boxes. When I moved out of my apartment recently, I had I kept these boxes from Thai takeaways and I thought, mm, what are you going to do with those? It's, it's so true. We all have them. I've got some. But, but truthfully, I also take my reusable containers to the restaurant with me. I leave them in the back of the car outside the restaurant. And then I do actually go get them, bring them in, or I do ask for my takeaway in the containers and hand them over when I order the takeaway. So you can do things like that, but not all the time. Being prepared wherever possible. So that's really interesting that it's looking at nature. So if someone was at the start of a design project, it would be to really look around us then to think about what's the natural economy that's happening outside of us. Nature has so many brilliant solutions. And if we were to look at things for design more, then we would discover some genius solutions. And we would be inspired by the the process of how things can be returned to the earth and how that is a regenerative cycle. At the moment, unfortunately, we're in a very reductive kind of, not, not degenerative, but we are really degenerating our natural resources and soil is one of them. Soil is a finite resource Mm. and we need to be regenerating those resources like soil because we must, because we need to grow food. (laughs) And I guess the same is very true of water. 
Yes, water is a huge player in circular economy. Not my area of expertise, but there are some amazing things happening with water. It's such a big issue to keep water circulating and not having so much of it just flushing out, being processed, and we consume quality drinking water for everything in Australia. We wash our cars with it. It's all been treated to drinking standards. Wow. And yet the distribution systems and the treatment systems and the recovery systems for the end of it are not always there. So water is a huge one. So again, if you're looking at a product or wondering how something works, question the inclusion of water or the treatment of it. And systems thinking comes into play here. So systems thinking is thinking about the relationships between everything. Everything's a complex system. We've sort of been taught to look at things in isolation and not really see the interconnectedness of things. So I'm doing this brilliant 30-day systems thinking challenge at the moment. And it's published by Unschools and Dr. Layla Ajalu. And I can't recommend Unschools resources highly enough. They are there to unschool you from the linear mindset that we've been taught in our education system. So the idea is not just looking at things in isolation, like how will I produce this amazing work from home day. I am going to look at all the systems that surround that item and look at how I can best have an impact or lessen my impact on the planet at the same time, but from the very outset at the design stage. It's a great reminder. It's a great way of thinking. How can I unschool myself? Unschool has so many fantastic, I'll make sure you have the link. They have fantastic courses in circular economy, systems thinking, co-design, and all sorts of other brilliant topics. Excellent. That'll be brilliant to link it. Now, from a practical point of view, I'm wondering if you've got some examples of products or brands or evidence where circular economy has been implemented. Is there any that we might consume on a more day-to-day basis or that you can draw our attention to? Well, my favourite example of circular economy is composting. To be honest, more than half of what we send to landfill in some places or about half or up to half of what goes into our household bins is organic. That should not belong in a landfill where they create methane emissions. Methane emissions are around 25 times worse for greenhouse ga- as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide and we absolutely have to stop putting organics in a landfill the best way to do it is to compost on site at your ha- home if you can or at your workplace and or to get your you know organic waste or into a place where you know the community composting hub or a local composter can help you return those nutrients to the soil because we all know food waste is a big problem. And yes, edible food waste, we absolutely have to reduce it. But when it comes to inedible food waste, if there's any way you can set up a worm farm or just dig a hole in the dirt and just literally bury them in your own backyard, it doesn't have to be a big space. You'll be amazed at how quickly that those organics turn back into soil and really become this black gold, which is regenerative for soil. So composting is just my favorite example of circular economy. Okay, and really quite relatively straightforward to do. If you've got a little bit of land or I suppose for composting, you can get in-house solutions now as well, can't you? 
Well, the point is, yes. And also a good example is jeans that are being made now from 100% cotton. So you can actually, if you can't do anything with the jeans, yes, you could take them back to a H&M store and they might fly them overseas, which is a lot more carbon emissions than just burying them in your own compost bin or your backyard and watching them. This is a great activity for anyone of all ages, especially kids. I see the jeans breaking down and sooner or later, unless there's elastin in them, which you can see, which is really cool, the pattern, my jeans return to the safely with no harmful residues. So there are a lot of products like that bras, jeans, lots and lots of t-shirts and clothes that are safe to return to the earth. So they would be fantastic and sneakers even, fantastic examples of circular products being pioneered at the moment. Brilliant. I mean, a lot of the fashion brands and trainers, footwear, Adidas did a partnership, I think, that was a, with the sustainable shoe brand. And then you've got Allbirds yeah. as well, I suppose. Is Allbirds a brand that you'd... I haven't heard of that brand, but I have heard of some big brands really trying hard to be more circular. And that could involve reusing um, plastic, recycling plastic. But in a circular economy, recycling is the loop of last resort because we really want to design out the waste in the first place. Okay, brilliant. This is your passion for this topic is just visceral. I was wondering how you found it. At what point did this passion appear for the circular economy? Oh, well, about five years ago, I decided to go into the environmental space and I thought, I really love composting. I'm just going to find a client because I've worked from home for the past 20 years or so, or from an office wherever I've worked from, for myself as a freelancer. And I thought, I'm just going to find a client in the environmental space. And then I thought, oh, supermarkets are banning plastic bags soon in some states. And in Queensland, that's happening soon. That was happening soon, five years ago. And I decided I would contact Biobag, which is a manufacturer, a local Aussie manufacturer of certified compostable plastic bags. And so I did. And they said, yes, please, we'd love your help. It was just great timing. Now, Biobag is what really switched me on to systems thinking, because here is a circular economy pioneer designing all sorts of things from Ziploc bags to carry bags to cling film, all certified compostable. So they've undergone a worm test. There's no toxic residues. Worms can safely eat them etc. But the thing that switched me on was if you don't have a system where that bag can safely get back into a composting environment, the bag really isn't as good. So the point is that systems thinking about anything is really, really important. And through Biobag, I found the circular economy. That's very smart. You spotted your urge your passion and specialism and thought how can I align my values to a company's that's a very smart way of working and I was doing all these experiments with the bags it was so much fun you can tell I love composting I really do going back to that phone call that you made I'm wondering how you any advice that you could give but also how you found that moment of having the courage to say, to pick up the phone, to introduce yourself and to be sure enough in yourself that you could be a good fit for that business. What's that mind process that you go through? Well, can I be honest? It's not entirely mental. I believe a lot of it is kind of not spiritual, but intuitive. So for me, I took a blank Excel spreadsheet and I thought, who would I like to work for? And it's a feeling as well that something is coming. 
So one of the resources I was going to suggest later on, because I think you're going to ask me later about how I maintain balance in my personal life. And so I'm just going to say it right now. There is a, there's a YouTube channel and all sorts of resources that you can tap into. But do you remember the secret, how big that was when it came out quite a few years ago, more than 10? Well, one of the main people on the secret is Abraham Hicks and they have some great content. It's about sort of knowing that there's something ahead for you, but being able to be open to it and allow the universe to guide you right now. And that's just little impulses. So when you get an impulse, aha, I think that I would really love to do this, or I think I would really like to contact that person. The universe is actually working with you to help guide you towards your, what they call vortex, or I know that for me, there's something big ahead and I just keep looking for clues. And I feel, I guess it's a feeling thing as much as a mental thing. So I feel for the clues. And when I feel an impulse, yes, I go for it. I really love that. So that might start with a spark of interest. Yes. And just a spark of joy. So the feeling is I love composting. Aha, I'd love to work with a business who, you know, is enabling solutions in this area. Aha, I feel like I'm capable of doing this. Aha, I'm going to do it. And it really is just that simple, having confidence to give it a try. You'll soon learn if you are missing some things that you needed, like maybe you do need some more skills first. But I think that also comes into feeling and common sense. I like the way that you've broken it down as well. It sounds as though actually they're small steps. When you first described contacting that business, I thought it was this big move. Maybe you prepared a pitch and this alignment, but actually it started with a spark. Then you got your Excel spreadsheet. Then you took the next step. And when you break it down like that, it seems achievable. It really does. And something I suggested to someone recently, you know, there is a little bit more to it. The action steps are, you know, think it through, create a pitch, create, go into Canva maybe and design a little A5 postcard that has your pitch on it, send it to the person, talk to them. So there might be, obviously, we don't live in an age anymore where you just pick up the phone and call people. That does not happen usually. So it is a little bit more involved, you know, work out what you want to offer, design or create a pitch and then have the courage to send it and follow it through. Brilliant. And when you've actually followed it through and you've started to get into this space, what do you do when you don't know what you're doing? Because actually you've never been involved in the circular economy before. At what point were you exposed to that? And then what practical steps did you maybe take to upskill? Well, there are so many learning resources. I did some courses in person with some, some of the leading circular economy facilitators in the country. I felt a sense of responsibility then to go forth into the world because I'd had this amazing contact with these amazing people like I don't know if it means it probably doesn't mean much to you to mention their names but they're they're the ones leading the space so I had some days with them in person and they said go forth into the world and help us make the transition so then I felt like they were asking me to do it. If you lack knowledge, I I also work part-time for Planet Arts Australian Circular Economy Hub. At acehub.org.au, there's a whole knowledge centre. There is so many case studies. There's resource links. There's all the policies that Australia has in each state towards circular economy. Really, everything you need to know is there. So there's so many great resources. The Unschool courses, the circularclassroom.com, there are some fantastic resources and you can quickly educate yourself. So one thing 
thing I did do was I did make the conscious choice not to go back to university and do a um, postgraduate degree or study. I did make the conscious choice to educate myself on the job. Okay. I suppose you naturally found what you enjoyed as well. Yes. And I, I sort of am a bit of a believer that a university degree is great, but it can't be replaced by real world learning. And just getting out there and actually doing something and learning as you do it. I really like to learn that way. That's my preferred learning. And it keeps you extremely employable because then I suppose you can constantly apply your knowledge in a real setting. That's always the danger, isn't it? If you get so far down a course, but you're not too sure how to apply it. Yes. And we're circular economy the truth is we are all learning with systems thinking you don't go in and and actually the truth is with circular economy you don't go in with the with the idea that you have the answers you go in with questions and then you're very open to exploring what's happening in a system and what the other solutions might be with the people around you and collaboration is absolutely key if we can't collaborate between the different actors like local councils and businesses and citizens then we cannot achieve a circular economy so the mindset is our constant learning mindset for everyone in circular economy bang on I mean yeah as you say that I think that's so applicable to the world these days if the environment is so damaged and I think last week or the week before was the World Economic Forum and actually world leaders were talking about look we have to work together at a different not talking about each country, but as one group. So that collaboration is key point that you make could apply to the different systems and organizations that you referred to there, council to, to business, to recycled venue, but also to businesses from one business to the next. I guess if we put resources, including our brain power, only then can you solve these quite, these extremely complex problems. That's right. And so half my time, about 20 hours a week, I'm with the ACE Hub team and we have an online community which is currently represented by thousands of government people from all levels, local, state and federal, small business people, medium business, large business, industry, research, education and more. Lots of people so that we can come together and share questions, learnings, ideas. So that is my job to organise that platform, that community. So that is a real privilege for Australia to be able to do that. That's incredible. How do people get involved in that kind of group? So easily. They just go to portal.acehub.org.au and they just sign up and it's free and it will remain free and it's for anybody there. It is a little tricky in that when you sign up, you will need to say if you're from government, education, business, etc. We don't really have a field for Joe citizens. So it's more of a form for people who are in the space wanting to help activate this transition to a circular economy. I'm sure there are many that know that they've got the ability within their business or organization or school to make a difference. So new that it's just figuring out, you know, how, how, where do I even start? And so it is a matter of asking questions, sharing learnings, not reinventing wheels, because we are spending a lot of time reinventing things at the moment. We need, we don't have time for that. We really need to share our learning and really pull them together so we can move forward faster. Brilliant. That's a real 
call to action. No time for that. We need to move. No time to no time to reinvent wheels, guys. No. Now, Chelsea, quick diversion from my list of questions because I can't sure. but wonder how you maintain such a positive, energetic, passionate persona. What happens on a bad day? Oh, so <laughs> People do say to me, "I can't imagine you getting angry with your kids." Oh, and I do. Of course, I do. I I think they would say that there's this mum and then there's at home mum but truthfully I get a lot of joy from life and I do try and meditate every day and I am not as good at that as I could be but there are some great resources on Spotify with free meditation tracks whether you like mantras or guided meditations or just music I know that you know I do use Spotify for that and so I find it's really important to look after me first so before I went into the environmental space I was helping parents look after their own emotional, mental, physical well-being. And that was a really good segue for me into becoming a parent and also going on to do these other things that I'm doing. Because if we don't put ourselves first and if we don't meet our own physical, emotional, spiritual needs, then we really can't be of great service. So I really do work hard on all of those things. So meditation is one thing. Is there a number of things that you prioritize to make yes. sure? I think it's meditation and rest, exercise and healthy eating, isn't it? Because if you haven't got, unfortunately, we need to fuel our bodies all the time and we need to move our bodies all the time and we need to rest all the time. So I really make sure I try and do those things. They're quite simple, but you know, how good do you feel once you've exercised? So I do try and make time for those classes and those just time, however you like to move your body. It's absolutely essential, isn't it? I mean, I personally find that I feel great after exercising, but also as a parent and with a with your business, how do you make sure that that happens? Good question. Well, I do, I do try not to overcommit. So personally, I love to focus and I really do try. And I think I found success this way is don't over promise and under deliver and don't over commit yourself. So I do try and leave space in my day for the important things like the healthy eating and the exercise, because that to me is essential. But I'm also fortunate that I can. I know some people do work full time and and it would be very difficult for them to do all those things well. But I really am fortunate that I have a little time in my day to do those things. And do you find that it is more pressure having your own business? Is it difficult to say no to new opportunities? Yes, because they do come your way. And one of the things is if you can't say no, then you can't say yes to the things that you really want to do. Yeah. So okay. if you think of it that way, you know, am I a complete yes to this? And if you're not, the answer really has to be no. Okay. That sounds like your intuition again. It is. It is. Because if you tune in and ask yourself, what really brings me joy? What am I a yes to? And you will feel that resonating in your whole body. If you're not a big yes to it ideally we we really shouldn't be doing it I I think that's a very important message and yet do you find that your social invites do ramp up at certain times and then is there a way of politely saying no any tips yeah you know I, I think that I don't have to explain too much if you really really need that time for yourself to rest or to prioritize something else that's important to you then I think it's okay to say 
sorry, but not this time, you know? I think that's great. It sometimes feels as though it takes a lot of courage. And although I've got better at saying no, when I see other people stretch themselves and rush from one event to the next, I think that's only damaging you. Yeah. That's right. So it is really important. I think this, this is something I've only just learned in my 40s is that you really must prioritize what you need. My friends all meet on a Saturday morning early at Park Run and they're always ribbing me for not being there. You know, we're all there at seven o'clock. Why don't you ever come down? But Saturday mornings, I'm genuinely exhausted after a, you know, Monday to Friday school work week. And I, my body just can't get out of bed early on the weekends. I need that rest time. So I just say to them, guys, I would love to see you, but that is not the time of the week for me. Saturday evening, you know where to find me. Yes, them. exactly. <laughs> when else get together? Eight o'clock, maybe 8 a.m.? That's reasonable. More like it. Get the beauty sleep in as well. We all feel right. a lot better. Now, going back to your education with young people, I was interested in the passion that you have for this and also the kind of ideas that you're getting from youth. Are you getting some really exciting, innovative ideas through your program? Yes. I loved your last chat here with Dr. Janine because she said young people are ready to lead the change and they really are. Young people today, people under the age of 18, they're really coming in with a sense that we have some really big problems and some really things that need to change. And I do wholeheartedly believe they're the ones that are not only going to be involved in the change because they will, but they're the ones that are going to make and lead the change. So I feel like if we don't grab this opportunity to harness all of their amazing abilities for creative thinking, out-of-the-box thinking, critical thinking, systems thinking, all the things that they can do, if we don't harness that opportunity today, we're going to suffer more for it down the track tomorrow. So my passion is to try and see if we can get into schools some of this systems thinking, circular thinking, because we need to enable these kids to really you know solve some of these big systems challenges that we have and that's really my passion that's amazing and that might be a little bit different to how older generations work with younger generations do you think do you think we're trying to break from us telling them what to do and as opposed to facilitating something different that's a good question. I have a lot of these chats when I'm not doing my Planet Arc hours. I have a lot of these discussions with people. And the truth is, if we give real world problems to a young person today, they have the ability to solve them. The problem is one of our mindset as adults is we don't necessarily want young people to have the solutions. We sort of feel that we must have them ourselves and that young people may be you know, shouldn't be telling us what to do or maybe aren't equipped to do to come up with solutions. I believe that's not right. If we enable them with the right knowledge and thinking and skills and platforms, they absolutely can help us today, not when they get older, but now solve some of these problems that we need to solve. That sounds as though we've got to press pause and reflect on how we're behaving. Yes. And I think also take the time to bring young people in you know, with the tools that they need. I love Sir David Attenborough has the most brilliant quote. I'm going to read it so that I don't get it wrong. He says, there can be no greater legacy than giving young people the tools they need to save our, our planet. And the truth is young people are going to be the ones that save our planet or they're going to, it's up to them because they're going to inherit all of these problems. 
we need to equip them with the tools. You know, currently in the Nordic countries and countries like Finland are doing a great job of putting circular economy right through the school curriculum. And I really feel that's what we need to follow is starting to sort of embed these things so that children can learn these important skills at school. There's some great, great programs coming into schools now, entrepreneur-based programs, and they teach enterprise thinking and thinking and innovation and all these great things. And, you know, I think that they're the 21st century skills that young people will need because apparently young people are going to change careers so many more times than we have in our generation. So it's really about those 21st century skills that they need, which are the ones that they're not really being that well equipped with in the education system at the moment. Okay. And also in our day, we wanted to be a nurse, doctor, banker, whereas now it's more about skills-based, which makes complete sense now because actually lots of people do move jobs 18 months to... We're already changing jobs frequently, but it's projected that young people will change jobs much, much more frequently So unless they're equipped with these skills for thinking, it's really interesting. When I go into schools, I've been doing a lot of volunteering in schools over the past five years. And the the greatest thing I see is it's not the kids that sit at the front and put up their hands and know all the answers that are the ones that will lead this transition to the circular economy. It's the kids that sit at the back, typically, you know, don't do that well academically, maybe haven't found their genius or their spark at school in the classroom, that excel at circular thinking because they are able to come up with ideas more, not be afraid to be wrong more, love to get outside the classroom and sort of shake it up with, you know, composting or source separation of waste or ideas for designing a fridge so the food doesn't you know hide at the back and get rotten so quickly they're the brilliant ones so they're the ones that I really would love to work with excellent that's great it fascinating example because maybe the world was created with so many diverse people and skills for a reason whereas the world has given everyone labels haven't in school we're still kind of rewarding the kids that can do the memorizing and the learning and the regurgitating and the ticking the boxes that's the old way of education that system that we sort of that came up when the industrial revolution happened that is not the system anymore this new system is not requiring that type of learning and assessment anymore it's really that's where the 21st century thinking skills come in I see if you were to look back at you when you were 20 or 30 is there any life advice that you would give to yourself knowing what you know now Yes, I think I think just to see that, you know, we all have a very, a very biased perspective of things. So just to be open to seeing things from different perspectives, because the truth is that we all have these kind of blinkers on, don't we, about our own worldviews. And then to understand what it would be like to be in someone else's shoes and to be able to think in a certain way that we don't think or to see opportunities and solutions that we may not traditionally see, I think it would be great to have those skills as a younger me. 
Mm, that's I reflect on that and think the same. I think you're worried so much about yourself when you're in your 20s and 30s that you may be right. yourself. Yeah, I don't think I would change anything because you do evolve as you get older. Personally, I feel that when I get to about 50, I'm 45 now. When I get to about 50, I'm about to do something significant. I I really do. I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm setting myself up something big it's not going to be small it's it's going to be scaled it's going to have a very big impact nationally internationally and I'm just working my way towards it with the skills I need so upskilling and focusing on me because now my kids are a little bit older and both both just started high school they can do more for themselves and I can focus on myself more go girl this is going to be such an exciting journey to watch because absolutely I I can I can see it and with what you're specializing in the world needs it you you know you're, you're needed across across every market aren't you every country well, I heard the best. Do you know Elizabeth Gilbert, the author? She's Eat, Pray, Love, etc. She has a book called Big Magic. And the idea is that an idea will land and it will come to you. You can either act on it or not. And if you don't, the idea will float off and probably land in other people's minds. So I feel like the idea has landed in my mind that we need to do these things that we've been talking about. And I have hopped on with the idea and the momentum of the idea if I sort of what's the word if I give into it and I and I you know really it's about surrendering surrendering to it and letting go and trusting and allowing that you know something that the universe is kind of wanting to see I will help enable it that's my philosophy things unfold magically then yeah, absolutely. I, I think we should all listen to our ideas a lot more. I mean, I love running and walking. And sometimes the ideas that come to me though at those points, I'll I think, no wonder I feel so good after a run and a walk, because my brain is a nice place to be, you know? Yes, that's right. And don't the best ideas come to you in the shower? They do, right? You just see things when you're having a shower that you wouldn't normally realize or see. But it's your choice whether you act on it or you know, not. And whether you make excuses, I suppose. Yes. Easy to make excuses. Another bit of advice that I was wondering is you've got a lot of energy. You've found something that I can't imagine feels as though it's like hard work because you clearly are passionate and so interested in it and you never stop learning. Is there any tips that you would give to a friend or to any of our listeners that are, look, I'm in my 40s. I'm not feeling the same. I'm not feeling quite the same passion. What kind of advice or guidance would you give? Oh, easy. Follow your joy. What is it that you enjoy? If you really love it and it doesn't feel like work and it makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning, go do that because you will probably be really successful at it. You get paid to play, you know. Brilliant. Those ideas that you have in the shower, don't ignore them. Jump on the idea. Just (laughs) do what brings you joy. If you don't really enjoy it, probably get someone else to do it. Pay someone who will play at that thing, whether it's bookkeeping or whatever it might be cleaning your house, if you can, you know, do that. I think the point is that if it feels like play and not work, that's a recipe for success. Absolutely brilliant. What a really inspirational and important point you've landed on. I do believe that there's a combination of what the world needs and those 
sparks and moments of joy that you referenced. I think you're a really good example of it. I reached out, I had this idea, I rang up this company, they needed me and that started the journey. Thank you so much for encouraging both myself personally, but no doubt anyone that listens to this. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for the chance to talk with you, Hannah. I've just loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll get all of your links, all of your names for a really nice long load of links that we can add to the bottom of this call. So thanks again. Take care. Thank you so much, Hannah. Bye. Thank you.